chapter thirty four of paul clifford by edward bulwer lytton this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirty four o fortuna wiris in vida fortibus quam non aqua bonis primia duitis seneca and as a hare whom hounds and horns pursue pants to the place from whence at first he flew here to the houseless child of want my door is open still goldsmith slowly for lucy waned the weeks of a winter which to her was the most dreary portion of life she had ever passed it became the time for the judge to attend one of those periodical visitations so fraught with dread and dismay to the miserable inmates of the dark abodes which the complex laws of this country so bounteously supply those times of great hilarity and eating to the legal gentry who feed on crimes and fatten on distress and wring vile mirth from suffering's last excess ah excellent order of the world which it is so wicked to disturb how miraculously beautiful must be that system which makes wine out of the scorching tears of guilt and from the suffocating suspense the agonized fear the compelled and self-mockery bravery the awful sentence the despairing death-pang of one man furnishes the smirking expectation of fees the jovial meeting and the mercenary holiday to another of law nothing less can be said than that her seat is the bosom of god hooker's ecclesiastical polity to be sure not richard hooker you are perfectly right the divinity of a sessions and the inspiration of the old bailey are undeniable the care of sir william brandon had effectually kept from lucy's ear the knowledge of her lover's ignominious situation indeed in her delicate health even the hard eye of brandon and the thoughtless glance of malevolent perceived the danger of such a discovery the earl now waiting the main attack on lucy till the curtain had forever dropped on clifford proceeded with great caution and delicacy in his suit to his proposed bride he waited with the more patience inasmuch as he had drawn in advance on his friend sir william for some portion of the heiress's fortune and he readily allowed that he could not in the meanwhile have a better advocate than he found in brandon so persuasive indeed and so subtle was the eloquence of this able sophist that often in his artful conversations with his niece he left even on the unvitiated and strong though simple mind of lucy an uneasy and restless impression which time might have ripened into an inclination towards the worldly advantages of the marriage at her command brandon was no bungling mediator or violent persecutor he seemed to acquiesce in her rejection of malevolent he scarcely recurred to the event he rarely praised the earl himself save for the obvious qualities of liveliness and good-nature but he spoke with all the vivid colours he could infuse at will into his words of the pleasures and the duties of rank and wealth well could he appeal alike to all the prejudices and all the foibles of the human breast and govern virtue through its weaknesses 
lucy had been brought up like the daughters of most country gentlemen of ancient family in an undue and idle consciousness of superior birth and she was far from inaccessible to the warmth and even feeling for here brandon was sincere with which her uncle spoke of the duty of raising a gallant name sunk into disrepute and sacrificing our own inclination for the redecorating the mouldered splendour of those who have gone before us if the confusion of idea occasioned by a vague pomposity of phrase or the infant inculcation of a sentiment that is mistaken for a virtue so often makes fools of the wise on the subject of ancestry if it clouded even the sarcastic and keen sense of brandon himself we may forgive its influence over a girl so little versed in the arts of sound reasoning as poor lucy who it may be said had never learned to think until she had learned to love however the impression made by brandon in his happiest moments of persuasion was as yet only transient it vanished before the first thought of clifford and never suggested to her even a doubt as to the suit of malevolent when the day arrived for sir william brandon to set out on the circuit he called barlow and enjoined on that acute and intelligent servant the strictest caution with respect to lucy he bade him deny her to every one of whatever rank and carefully to look into every newspaper that was brought to her as well as to withhold every letter save such as were addressed to her in the judge's own handwriting lucy's maid brandon had already won over to silence and the uncle now pleased himself with thinking that he had put an effectual guard to every chance of discovery the identity of lovett with clifford had not yet even been rumoured and malever had rightly judged of clifford when he believed the prisoner would himself take every precaution against the detection of that fact clifford answered the earl's note and promised in a letter couched in so affecting yet so manly a tone of gratitude that even brandon was touched when he read it and since his confinement and partial recovery of health the prisoner had kept himself closely secluded and refused all visitors encouraged by this reflection and the belief in the safety of his precautions brandon took leave of lucy farewell said he as he embraced her affectionately be sure that you write to me and forgive me if i do not answer you punctually take care of yourself my sweet niece and let me see a fresher colour on that soft cheek when i return take care of yourself rather my dear dear uncle said lucy clinging to him and weeping as of late her weakened nerves caused her to do at the least agitation may i not go with you you have seemed to me paler than usual the last three or four days and you complained yesterday do let me go with you i will be no trouble none at all but i am sure you require a nurse you want to frighten me my pretty lucy said brandon shaking his head with a smile i am well very well i felt a strange rush of blood towards the head yesterday it is true but i feel to-day stronger and lighter than i have done for years once more god bless you my child and brandon tore himself away and commenced his journey the wandering and dramatic course of our story now conducts us to an obscure lane in the metropolis leading to the thames and makes us spectators of an affecting farewell between two persons whom the injustice of fate and the persecutions of men were about perhaps for ever to divide adieu my friend said augustus tomlinson as he stood looking full on that segment of the face of edward pepper which was left unconcealed by a huge hat and a red belcher handkerchief 
tomlinson himself was attired in the full costume of a dignified clergyman adieu my friend since you will remain in england adieu i am i exult to say no less sincere a patriot than you heaven be my witness how long i looked repugnantly on poor levitt's proposal to quit my beloved country but all hope of life here is now over and really during the last ten days i have been so hunted from corner to corner so plagued with polite invitations similar to those given by a farmer's wife to her ducks dilly 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 come and be killed that my patriotism has been prodigiously cooled and i no longer recoil from thoughts of self-banishment the earth my dear ned as a greek sage has very well observed the earth is the same everywhere and if i am asked for my home i can point like anaxagoras to heaven upon my soul you affect me said ned speaking thick either from grief or the pressure of the belcher handkerchief on his mouth it is quite beautiful to hear you talk bear up my dear friend continued tomlinson bear up against your present afflictions what to a man who fortifies himself by reason and by reflection on the shortness of life are the little calamities of the body what is imprisonment or persecution or cold or hunger by the by you did not forget to put the sandwiches into my coat-pocket hush whispered ned and he moved on involuntarily i see a man at the other end of the street let us quicken our pace said tomlinson and the pair proceeded towards the river and now began ned who thought he might as well say something about himself for hitherto augustus in the ardour of his friendship had been only discussing his own plans and now that is to say when i leave you i shall hasten to dive for shelter until the storm blows over i don't much like living in a cellar and wearing a smock frock but those concealments have something interesting in them after all the safest and snuggest place i know of is the pailly ba about the thames court so i think of hiring an apartment underground and taking my meals at poor lovett's old quarters the mug the police will never dream of looking in these vulgar haunts for a man of my fashion you cannot then tear yourself from england said tomlinson no hang it the fellows are so cursed unmanly on the other side of the water i hate their wine and their parley besides there is no fun there tomlinson who was absorbed in his own thoughts made no comment on his friend's excellent reasons against travel and the pair now approached the brink of the river a boat was in waiting to receive and conduct to the vessel in which he had taken his place for calais the illustrious emigrant but as tomlinson's eye fell suddenly on the rude boatman and the little boat which were to bear him away from his native land as he glanced too across the blue waters which a brisk wind wildly agitated and thought how much rougher it would be at sea where his soul invariably sickened at the heaving wave a whole tide of deep and sorrowful emotions rushed upon him he turned away the spot on which he stood was a piece of ground to be let as a board proclaimed upon a building lease below descended the steps which were to conduct him to the boat around the desolate space allowed him to see in far and broad extent the spires and domes and chimneys of the great city whose inhabitants he might never plunder more as he looked and looked the tears started to his eyes and with a gust of enthusiasm little consonant with his temperate and philosophical character he lifted his right hand from his black breeches pocket and burst into the following farewell to the metropolis of his native shores farewell my beloved london farewell where shall i ever find a city like you never till 
now did i feel how inexpressibly dear you were to me you have been my father and my brother and my mistress and my tailor and my shoemaker and my hatter and my cook and my wine merchant you and i never misunderstood each other i did not grumble when i saw what fine houses and good strong boxes you gave to other men no i rejoiced at their prosperity i delighted to see a rich man my only disappointment was in stumbling on a poor one you gave riches to my neighbours but o oh, generous london you gave those neighbours to me magnificent streets all christian virtues abide within you charity is as common as smoke where in what corner of the habitable world shall i find human beings with so many superfluities where shall i so easily decoy from benevolent credulity those superfluities to myself heaven only knows my dear dear darling london what i lose in you o oh, public charities o oh, public institutions o oh, banks that belie mathematical axioms and make lots out of nothing o oh, ancient constitution always to be questioned o oh, modern improvements that never answer o oh, speculations o oh, companies o oh, usury laws which guard against usurers by making as many as possible o oh, churches in which no one profits save the parson and the old women that let pews of an evening o oh, superb theatres too small for parks too enormous for houses which exclude comedy and comfort and have a monopoly for performing nonsense gigantically o oh, houses of plaster built in a day o oh, palaces four yards high with a dome in the middle meant to be invisible we must not suppose this apostrophe to be an anachronism tomlinson of course refers to some palace of his day one of the boxes christmas boxes given to the king by his economical nation of shopkeepers we suppose it is either pulled down or blown down long ago it is doubtless forgotten by this time except by antiquaries nothing is so ephemeral as great houses built by the people your kings play the deuce with their playthings oh shops worth thousands and oh shopkeepers not worth a shilling oh system of credit by which beggars are princes and princes are beggars oh imprisonment for debt which lets the mare be stolen and then locks up the bridle o oh, sharpers bubbles senators bow taverns brothels clubs houses private and public o oh, london in a word receive my last adieu long may you flourish in peace and plenteousness may your knaves be witty and your fools be rich may you alter only two things your damnable tricks of transportation and hanging those are your sole faults but for those i would never desert you adieu here tomlinson averted his head and then hastily shaking the hand of long ned with a tremulous and warm grasp he hurried down the stairs and entered the boat ned remained motionless for some moments following him with his eyes as he sat at the end of the boat waving a white pocket handkerchief at length the line of barges snatched him from the sight of the lingerer and ned slowly turning away muttered yes i've always heard that dame lobkins's was the safest asylum for misfortune like mine i will go forthwith in search of a lodging and to-morrow i will make my breakfast at the mug be it our pleasing task dear reader to forestall the good robber and return at the hour of sunrise on the day following tomlinson's departure to the scene at which our story commenced we are now once more at the house of mrs marjorie lobkins the room which served so many purposes was still the same as when paul turned it into the arena of his mischievous pranks the dresser with its shelves of mingled delf and pewter occupied its ancient and important station 
only it might be noticed that the pewter was more dull than of yore and that sundry cracks made their erratic wanderings over the yellow surface of the delf the eye of the mistress had become less keen than heretofore and the care of the handmaid had of necessity relaxed the tall clock still ticked a monotonous warning the blanket screen happily innocent of soap since we last described it many-storied and poly-balladed still unfolded its ample leaves rich with the spoils of time the spit in the musket yet hung from the wall in amicable proximation and the long smooth form with many a holy text thereon bestrewn still afforded rest to the weary traveller and an object to the vacant stare of mrs marjory lopkins as she lolled in her opposite seat and forgot the world but poor piggy lod there was the alteration the soul of the woman was gone the spirit had evaporated from the human bottle she sat with open mouth and glassy eye in her chair sidling herself to and fro with the low peevish sound of fretful age and bodily pain sometimes this querulous murmur sharpened into a shrill but unmeaning scold there now you gallows bird you has taken the swipes without chalking you wants to cheat the poor widow but i sees you i does providence protects the aged and the innocent oh oh these twinges will be the death of me where's martha you jade you you wiperous hussy bring the tape doesn't you see how i suffers has you no bowels to let a poor christian creature perish for want of help that's with them that's the way no one cares for i now no one has respect for the grey airs of the old and then the voice dwindled into the whimpering tenor of its way martha a strapping wench with red hair streaming over her hills of snow was not however inattentive to the wants of her mistress who knows said she to a man who sat by the hearth drinking tea out of a blue mug and toasting with great care two or three huge rounds of bread for his own private and especial nutriment who knows said she what we may come to ourselves and so saying she placed a glowing tumbler by her mistress's elbow but in the sunken prostration of her intellect the old woman was insensible even to her consolation she sipped and drank it is true but as if the stream warmed not the benumbed region through which it passed she continued muttering in a crazed and groaning key is this your gratitude you sarpent why does not you bring the tape i tells you am i of a age to drink water like a oss you nasty thing oh to think as ever i should live to be desarted inattentive to these murmurs which she felt unreasonable the bouncing martha now quitted the room to repair to her upper household avocations the man at the hearth was the only companion left to the widow gazing at her for a moment as she sat whining with a rude compassion in his eye and slowly munching his toast which he had now buttered and placed in a delf plate on the hob this person thus soothingly began ah dame lopkins if so be as our little paul vas avith you it would be a gallows comfort to you in your latter hand the name of paul made the good woman incline her head towards the speaker a ray of consciousness shot through her bedulled brain little paul eh sirs where is paul paul i say my ben call alack he's gone left his poor old nurse to die like a cat in a cellar oh dummy never lived to be old man they leaves us to ourselves and then takes away all the lush with em has not a drop o' comfort in the varsal world dummy who at this moment had his own reasons for soothing the dame and was anxious to make the most of the opportunity of a conversation as unwitnessed as the present replied tenderly 
and with a cunning likely to promote his end reproached paul bitterly for never having informed the dame of his whereabout and his proceedings but come dame he wound up come i guess as how he is better nor all that and that you need not be your whole brains to think where he lies or vot he's a doing blow me tight mother lob i ax pardon mrs margery i should say if i vould not give five bob i and five to the tail of that to know what the poor lad is about i takes a mortal hinterest in that air chap oh oh groaned the old woman on whose palsied sense the astute inquiries of dummy dunnaker fell harmless my poor sinful carcass what a way it be in artfully again did dummy dunnaker nothing defeated renew his attack but fortune does not always favour the wise and it failed dummy now for a twofold reason first because it was not possible for the dame to comprehend him secondly because even if it had been she had nothing to reveal some of clifford's pecuniary gifts had been conveyed anonymously all without direction or date and for the most part they had been appropriated by the sage martha into whose hands they fell to her own private uses nor did the dame require clifford's grateful charity for she was a woman tolerably well off in the world considering how near she was waxing to another longer however might dummy have tried his unavailing way had not the door of the inn creaked on its hinges and the bulky form of a tall man in a smock-frock but with a remarkably fine head of hair darkened the threshold he honoured the dame who cast on him a lacklustre eye with a sulky yet ambrosial nod seized a bottle of spirits and a tumbler lighted a candle drew a small german pipe and a tobacco-box from his pouch placed these several luxuries on a small table wheeled it to a far corner of the room and throwing himself into one chair and his legs into another he enjoyed the result of his pains in a moody and supercilious silence long and earnestly did the meek dummy gaze on the face of the gentleman before him it had been some years since he had last beheld it but it was one which did not easily escape the memory and although its proprietor was a man who had risen in the world and had gained the height of his profession a station far beyond the diurnal sphere of dummy dunnaker and the humble polarner was therefore astonished to encounter him in these lower regions yet dummy's recollection carried him back to a day when they had gone shares together without respect of persons and had been right jolly partners in the practical game of beggar my neighbour while however dummy dunnaker who was a little inclined to be shy deliberated as to the propriety of claiming acquaintanceship a dirty boy with a face which betokened the frost as dummy himself said like a plum dying of the scarlet fever entered the room with a newspaper in his dexter paw great news great news cried the urchin imitating his vociferous originals in the street all about the famous captain levitt as large as life old your blarney you bladder gal said dummy rebukingly and seizing the journal master says as how he must have it to send to clapham can't spare it for more than an hour said the boy as he withdrew i members the day said dummy with the zeal of a clansman when the mug took a paper all to itself instead of iring it by the job like thereon he opened the paper with a fillip and gave himself tip to the lecture but the tall stranger half rising with a start exclaimed can't you have the manners to be communicative do you think nobody cares about captain lovett but yourself on this dummy turned round on his chair and with a blow me tight you're welcome i'm sure began as follows we copy the paper not the diction of the reader the trial of the notorious lovett commences this day great exertions have been made by people of all classes to procure seats in the town hall 
which will be full to a degree never before known in this peaceful province no less than seven indictments are said to await the prisoner it has been agreed that the robbery of lord malever should be the first to come on the principal witness in this case against the prisoner is understood to be the king's evidence magrawler no news as yet have been circulated concerning the suspected accomplices augustus tomlinson and edward pepper it is believed that the former has left the country and that the latter is lurking among the low refuges of guilt with which the heart of the metropolis abounds report speaks highly of the person and manners of lovett he is also supposed to be a man of some talent and was formerly engaged in an obscure periodical edited by magrawler and termed the Athenaeum or Asinium. nevertheless we apprehend that his origin is remarkably low and suitable to the nature of his pursuits the prisoner will be most fortunate in a judge never did any one holding the same high office as sir william brandon earn an equal reputation in so short a time the whigs are accustomed to sneer at us when we insist on the private virtues of our public men let them look to sir william brandon and confess that the austerest morals may be linked with the soundest knowledge and the most brilliant genius the opening address of the learned judge to the jury at blank is perhaps the most impressive and solemn piece of eloquence in the english language a cause for this eulogium might happily be found in another part of the paper in which it was said among the higher circles we understand the rumour has gone forth that sir william brandon is to be recalled to his old parliamentary career in a more elevated scene so highly are this gentleman's talents respected by his majesty and the ministers that they are it is reported anxious to secure his assistance in the house of lords when dummy has spelt his toilsome march through the first of the above extracts he turned round to the tall stranger and eyeing him with a sort of winking significance said so magrawler peaches blows the gaff on his pals eh vell now i always suspected that air son of a gun do you know he used to be at the mug many's a day a teaching our little paul and says i to piggy lob says i blow me tight but the cove is a queer one and if he does not come to be scragged says i it bill only be because he'll turn out rusty and scrag one of his pals so you sees here dummy looked round and his voice sank into a whisper so you sees meester pepper i vas no fool there long ned dropped his pipe and said sourly and with a suspicious frown what you know me to be sure and sartain i does answered little dummy walking to the table where the robber sat does not you know i ned regarded the interrogator with a sullen glance which gradually brightened into knowledge ah said he with the air of a brummel mr bummy or dummy i think eh shake a paw i'm glad to see you recollect the last time i saw you you rather affronted me never mind i dare say you did not mean it encouraged by this affable reception from the highwayman though a little embarrassed by ned's allusion to former conduct on his part which he felt was just dummy grinned pushed a stool near ned sat himself down and carefully avoiding any immediate answer to ned's complaints rejoined do you know meester pepper you struck i all of a heap i could not have sposed as how you'd condescend nowadays to come to the mug there i never seed you but once afore lord love ye they says as how you go to all the fine places in ruffles with a pair of silver pops in your vaistcoat pocket by the boys hereabout say that you and me's to tomlinson and this here poor devil and quod bear the finest gemmin in town and lord for to think of your civility to a pitiful rag merchant like i ah said ned gravely there are sad principles afloat now 
they want to do away with all distinctions and ranks to make a duke no better than his valet and a gentleman highwayman classed with a filcher of fogles but damn if i don't think misfortune levels us all quite enough and misfortune brings me here little dummy ah you vants to keep out of the vey of the bulkies right since poor levitt was laid by the heels which i must say was the fault of his own deuced gentlemanlike behaviour to me and augustus you've heard of guz you say the knot of us seems quite broken one's own friends look inclined to play one false and really the queer cuffins hover so sharply upon us that i thought it safe to duck for a time so i've taken a lodging in a cellar and i intend for the next three months to board at the mug i have heard that i may be sure of lying snug here dummy your health give us the back seat i say meester pepper said dummy clearing his throat when he had obeyed the request can you tell i if so be you as met in your travels our little paul poor chap you knows as ow and i he was sent to quod by justice burnflat though ven he got out he vent to the devil or summat like it and ve have not card of board of him since you members the lad a nation fine call tall and straight as a harrow why you fool said ned don't you know then checking himself suddenly ah by the by that rigmarole oath i was not to tell though now it's past caring for i fear it is no use looking after the seal when the letter's burned blow me cried dunneker with unaffected vehemence i sees as how you know vat's come of he many's the good turn i'll do you if you vill but tell i why does he owe you a dozen bobs or what dummy said ned not he not he cried dummy what then you want to do him a mischief of some sort do little paul a mischief ejaculated dummy by i've known the cull ever since he was that high no but i vants to do him a great sarvice meester pepper and myself too and you to boot for aught that i know meester pepper humph said ned humph what do you mean i do it is true know where paul is but you must tell me first why you wish to know otherwise you may ask your grandfather for me a long sharp wistful survey did mr dummy dunneker cast around him before he rejoined all seemed safe and convenient for confidential communication the supine features of mrs lopkins were hushed in a drowsy stupor even the grey cat that lay by the fire was curled in the embrace of morpheus nevertheless it was in a close whisper that dummy spoke i dares be bound meester pepper that you members bell vin harry cook the great highwayman poor fellow he's gone there we must all go brought you then quite a gossoon for the first time to the little back parlour at the cock and hen de Wiru court ned nodded assent and you members as how i met harry and you there and i vas all afeard at you cause vi i had never seen you afore and ve vas a going to crack a swell's crib and harry spoke up for you and said as out though you had just gone on the town you was already prime up to gammon you members eh i i remember all said ned it was the first and only house i ever had a hand in breaking into harry was a fellow of low habits so i dropped his acquaintance and took solely to the road or a chance ingenuity now and then i've no idea of a gentleman turning cracksman vell so you vent vif us and ve slipped you through a pane in the kitchen vindo you vus the least of us big as you be now and you vent round and opened the door for us and then you had opened the door you saw a vooman had joined us and you were a funk then and stayed vid out the crib to keep vatch vile ve vent in well well cried ned what the devil has all this rigmarole got to do with paul 
now don't be glim flashy but let me go on smack right about belvindy came out you minds as ow the vooman had a bundle in her arms and you spake to her and she answered you roughly and left us all and went straight home and he went and fenced the swag that very night and afterwards napped the regulars and sure you made us laugh artily meester pepper when you said says you that ere vooman is a rum blow ain so she vas meester pepper the reader has probably observed the use made by dummy and mrs lopkins of irish phraseology or pronunciation this is a remarkable trait in the dialect of the lowest orders of london owing we suppose to their constant association with emigrants from the first flower of the earth perhaps it is a modish affectation among the gentry of st giles's just as we eke out our mother-tongue with french at mayfair oh spare me said ned affectedly and make haste you keep me all in the dark by the way i remember that you joked me about the bundle and when i asked what the woman had wrapped in it you swore it was a child rather more likely that the girl whoever she was would have left a child behind her than carried one off the face of dummy waxed big with conscious importance well now you would not believe us but it vas all true that ere bundle vas the vooman's child i suppose an unnatural bun by the gemmin she let us into the ouse on condition we helped her off with it and blow me tight but be paid ourselves vell for our trouble that ere vooman vas a strange creature they say she had been a lord's blowin but howsomever she was as ot edded and hod as if she had been there vas old nick's hound row made on the matter and the reward for our detection vas so great that as you vas not much tried yet harry thought it best for to take you vith him down to the country and told you as ow it vas all a flam about the child in the bundle faith said ned i believed him readily enough and poor harry was twisted shortly after and i went into ireland for safety where i stayed two years and deuced good claret i got there so vows you vas there continued dummy poor judy the vooman died she died in this very ouse and left the horphan to the affection of piggy lop who was nation fond of it surely oh but i members but a night it vas then poor duty died the vin thistled like met and the rain tumbled about as if it had got a holiday and there the poor creature lay raving just over ed of this room we sits in laus me vat a sight it vas here dummy paused and seemed to recall in imagination the scene he had witnessed but over the mind of long ned a ray of light broke slowly phew said he lifting up his forefinger phew i smell a rat the stolen child then was no other than paul but pray to whom did the house belong for that fact harry never communicated to me i only heard the owner was a lawyer or parson or some such thing by now i tell you but don't be glim flashy so you see then judy died and harry was scragged i vas the only vun living who vas up to the secret and then mother love vas a taking a drop of, to comfort her then judy vent off i hopens a great box in which poor judy kept her duds and rattle-traps and surely i finds at the bottom of the box hever so many letters and sick like for i knew as ow they vas there so i vips these off and carries em ome with me and soon arter mother lob sold me the box o duds for two quids cause vi i vas a rag merchant so now i solved since the secret vas all in my home keeping to keep it as tight as vinky for first you sees as ow i vas afeard i should be hanged if i vent for to tell cause vi 
i stole a vatch and lots more as well as the hurchin and next of us afeard as ow the mother might come back and haunt me the same as saul haunted billy for of us horrid night then her soul took being and hover and above this meester pepper i thought summit might turn hup by and by in which it was be best for i to keep my home counsel and nab the vervard if i ever durst make myself known here dummy proceeded to narrate how frightened he had been lest ned should discover all when as it may be remembered pepper informed paul at the beginning of his history he encountered that worthy at dame lopkins's house how this fear had induced him to testify to pepper that coldness and rudeness which had so enraged the haughty highwayman and how great had been his relief and delight at finding that ned returned to the mug no more he next proceeded to inform his new confidant of his meeting with the father the sagacious reader knows where and when and of what took place at that event he said how in his first negotiation with the father prudently resolving to communicate drop by drop such information as he possessed he merely besides confessing to a share in the robbery stated that he thought he knew the house etc to which the infant had been consigned and that if so it was still alive but that he would inquire he then related how the sanguine father who saw that hanging dummy for the robbery of his house might not be half so likely a method to recover his son as bribery and conciliation not only forgave him his former outrage but whetted his appetite to the search by rewarding him for his disclosure he then proceeded to state how unable anywhere to find paul or any trace of him he amused the sire from time to time with forged excuses how at first the sums he received made him by no means desirous to expedite a discovery that would terminate such satisfactory receipts how at length the magnitude of the proffered reward joined to the threats of the sire had made him become seriously anxious to learn the real fate and present whereabout of paul how the last time he had seen the father he had by way of propitiation and first fruit taken to him all the papers left by the unhappy mother and secreted by himself and how he was now delighted to find that ned was acquainted with paul's address since he despaired of finding paul by his own exertions alone he became less tenacious of his secret and he now proffered ned on his discovery of paul a third of that reward the whole of which he had once hoped to engross ned's eyes and mouth opened at this proposition but the name the name of the father you have not told me that yet cried he impatiently no and no said dummy archly i doesn't tell you all till you tells i summit bears little paul i say and bear be us to get at him ned heaved a sigh as for the oath said he musingly it would be a sin to keep it now that to break it can do him no harm and may do him good especially as in case of imprisonment or death the oath is not held to be binding yet i fear it is too late for the reward the father will scarcely thank you for finding his son know dummy that paul is in jail and that he is one and the same person as captain lovett astonishment never wrote in more legible characters than she now displayed on the rough features of dummy dunnaker so strong are the sympathies of a profession compared with all others that dummy's first confused thought was that of pride the great captain lovett he faltered little paul at the top of the profession lord lord i always said as how he'd the ambition to rise well well but the father's name at this question the expression of dummy's face fell a sudden horror struggled to his eyes End of chapter thirty four